0: One, hello, Dr. Boyson. Uh, welcome to the podcast. You were my professor in my executive coaching program that I attended through Lewis University a few years back, and I found the whole program to be transformative. The information has helped me in my marriage. It's helped me in teaching martial arts. It's helped me with clients. So I really am excited to have you on and kind of excavate some of the things that I found most valuable about this topic, in which you are an expert. Um, you recently did a podcast of your own on e-charisma, which I've been has been burning up my brain for the past. Week or so. So, I'd love to jump into that as well as some stuff about powerful questioning and uh, other aspects of coaching and the business of coaching. And uh, just for the benefit of the listeners, just give us a little introduction so people know who you are and where you're from and what you're about, and then we'll jump in.
1: Sure, absolutely. Well, so happy to have a chance to reconnect like this. This is great. Um, And yeah, a little bit about my background. So I am currently a master certified executive coach and a business professor. But uh, before transitioning into kind of this part of my career path, I spent the beginning of my career predominantly in human resources. So talent acquisition, talent management, talent development, organization development. Um, And while I was doing that, I was getting my MBA in one of those executive MBA programs. And as part of that, they set each of us up with an executive coach. And prior to that, I'd never experienced the coaching thing, but I just, I fell in love with the power of it, how powerful it was as far as an intervention to help people bring about change, make shifts, do things that, you know, they aren't able to kind of access on their own, but it's tapping tapping into their ability and helping successful people to become even more successful. So I filed that in the back of my head. Um, and then after I finished the degree, I made the crazy decision at the time, it felt crazy at least to continue on and get my doctorate in organization development. And so when it came time to really focus in on a concentration for my research, I went back to that coaching interest in most of my research in that space. And then postdoc has been coaching effectiveness, coaching competencies. So after uh, spending about three years as a director of career services at the University of Chicago, working mostly with alumni, helping them figure out, I guess what they wanted to be when they grew up, what they wanted to be next at least, um, ended up pivoting and getting my coaching certification, starting as a professor, as you mentioned at a local university where, where we met in the coaching training program that I developed for them. So in ICF, accredited coach training program. So that's kind of where, where I'm at today.
0: And, and this program, I found it to be extremely transformative as well. uh, uh there's just so many things. I mean, I'll, I'll probably have to have you back on for multiple episodes to cover everything, but there's so many things within this paradigm of executive coaching, which I really think is a misnomer. I mean, like, I, I, I think it would be, kind of performance coaching, but it's like psychology and coaching and business and realizing your best self kind of all wrapped up into one. But the most, the, the piece that kind of drives it all is this thing called powerful questioning, right? Powerful questioning is kind of the basis for executive coaching. And I think it's a tool that would be extremely powerful, not to be redundant, but for everyone who coaches, um, would you mind like breaking powerful questioning down for the listeners a little bit and, and talking about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's two words, right? Powerful questions or powerful questioning, which makes it sound so so simple. And it can be simple, but to your point, there's just so much impact that can come from practicing that skill set, a powerful questioning um, and getting really good at it, probably in conjunction with active listening. So that's kind of the perfect marriage there, a powerful questioning coupled with active listening. So when we talk about powerful questions, that's one of the foundations of effective coaching. And I think that's where coaching, as you mentioned, touched on a little bit there, really does end up getting confused with other helping interventions, other very helpful helping interventions like consulting, like training, like education, like mentoring. In their own rights, all of those are very powerful interventions that help people. Coaching is different because it's all about questioning. And really the reason is because what we're doing as a coach is we're not instilling wisdom. We're not providing guidance. We're not giving anyone the answers. We're kind of holding that space for them, holding that container of transformation by asking powerful questions that help our coachee or our client to unlock their own wisdom, to brainstorm new ideas, to kind of create something in the space where they have someone who is, guiding them through a coaching process and really listening with them. So powerful questions, when I say committed listening, it's because powerful questions come from committed listening. When we're asking someone a question, the question that we're asking is really about what is going to be the most valuable for them based on what they're doing, based on what they've just said, based on what's most important to them So those types of a thing. It's rather than us asking questions just because we're curious, or us asking questions because we wanna know the answers. In reality, in a coaching process, when we're supporting someone towards their goals, we we don't need to know a whole lot of backstory. We don't need to know all the details of how terrible a current situation is at all. Um, What we need to know is what someone wants instead what that vision of the perfect or ideal future is, and ideas around how they can tap into their past experience, their successes, their skills, their abilities, and their ideas to start brainstorming experiments, little incremental things they can start trying to move them towards their goals. So powerful questions help someone to get really clear on what it is they want, what do they wanna move towards, and then how they can do that. So powerful questions tend to be open-ended, right? We say open-ended That's as opposed to being a closed question. And a closed question is a yes or no question, which can be good, right? Yes or no questions can be good, but these open-ended powerful questions create that space and that invitation for someone to openly share, kind of think out loud, process and reflect. They're also questions that there's not just one right answer to. So as a coach, it doesn't matter what we think the person should do or ideas that we have. What matters is what that other person, our client or our coachee comes up with. And part of the power there is when someone comes up with their own ideas, their own thoughts, there's going to organically be a higher level of investment because it was self-generated. It wasn't something that was given to them. It wasn't something that was spoon fed to them. So the other piece of powerful questions is powerful questions focus on change. They focus on solutions. They focus on moving forward. And what powerful questions tend not to focus on are problems. So that kind of goes back to what I'd mentioned a couple minutes ago about how as a coach We don't need to have all the details of how terrible a problem is. And that might sound simple, but it's really challenging. There's something about that that I think goes against human nature, where we just want to know all the details, especially if something is challenging or or bad, right? We're just curious, like, oh my gosh, tell us how bad it is. But with a coach, you know, I always challenge my coaching students and the coaches that I mentor, do you need to know that? In order to support someone towards their greatness, towards what it is they want instead, do we need to ask that question? Do we need to know all the details of the problem? You know, Sometimes asking questions about a problem just gets someone to really sit in the problem and spend all their time in the problem. Whereas asking questions about what it is they want instead, what's important to them about that, what that looks like, how they'll know when they get there, how they can start moving towards that those are change questions. Those are solution focused questions. And those are really powerful questions. So how's that as far as an introduction or an overview of what this powerful question piece looks like?
0: Just to make sure that I I am understanding you correctly or the, the listeners are understanding you correctly. So it's solution focused, not problem focused. It's open-ended. Um, in order to allow the person being coached to find their own solution to the problem. And from there, it's pretty freeform, right? You're just trying to kind of allow the person to guide themselves to yeah. the answer that they're looking for. Is, exactly. that, is that correct?
1: That's exactly correct. And it's freeform in the sense that we don't have a script We don't have an agenda. And it's not to say that you can't lean into one of the many coaching frameworks that exist out there. Frameworks are great, but to be the most powerful as possible, a question needs to be fully in response to what the individual you're working with is saying. So if someone says to you, you know what I need here, I just really need to knock this out of the park. So for me, and that's kind of like a sports analogy there, right? I don't, that's not my frame of reference. I mean, I like sports, don't get me wrong. I can enjoy sports just like the next person, but that's not my frame of reference where I'm living and breathing that and I'm using that metaphor and that analogy, you know, in my in my everyday speech and conversation. But clearly when I hear a client saying that I really need to knock us out of, a, out of the park. I need to hit a home run here. This is really important to me. If I can take that client's perspective instead of applying my perspective, and use that in my questions, that helps them to be even more powerful, just as an example of being responsive and freeform. So if that client says, I need to hit this out of the park, I could ask them. So in this example, in this situation, what specifically would hitting it out of the park look like? How would you know you've hit it out of the park? What would you notice? What would others notice? All examples of potential you know, powerful questions that are completely in response. And like you mentioned, you said freeform that resonates with me as opposed to what I see a lot of new coaches doing, which is their client is talking. Maybe they're feeling a little bit of that performance anxiety. They want to make sure they're adding value, being a good coach, so to speak. Right. And they're formulating this next great question. They're going to ask while their clients talking. As much as we all like to pat ourselves on the back for being fantastic multitaskers, it's kind of like newsflash: We're not, we're not good multitaskers. When we're focusing on what we're gonna say next, what question we're gonna ask, what we're not doing is fully listening to the other person. And so our questions to be as powerful as possible need to be fully in response to what the person we're talking to just said.
0: So as you're, as you're leading the, the client through this process, um, because it's, well, really they're leading themselves through this process. It's, it's kind it's so hard to understand to, to, for, for people, I was a very task oriented guy. You remember when we were, when I was going through the program and, yeah. and I would want to lead people, right? Like, uh, have you thought about this? Did you, did you, and, and you were, you were always kind of, "Ah, I mean, it was a decent coaching session, Ben, but you didn't leave it up. You didn't let the client find their own solution. You were leading them in the direction you wanted them to go as opposed to them finding their own direction. And I think that's, this, that, that's what separates this from everything else I've ever done. My bachelor's is in psych. My master's is in business. I mean, I have a, a decent grasp of how to communicate and question people. Um, I had a guest, my, my last guest on the podcast, his name is Joe Saunders. He's from Australia. And he has a book called the martial art of communication and his whole thing is communication. But and it's interesting, it's interesting to talk to people like that. Um, But this is unique in the sense that you're not communicating. You're not the driver. The other person is the driver. And, and, and I really, I mean, especially in my marriage, when I don't let my emotions get the best of me, and I'm talking to my wife, and I remember to just ask the questions and let my wife Find the solutions to her own problems because my, you know, people don't want their problems solved really. Most of the time they want to solve it themselves. They know the answer it's in there somewhere. They just need to figure it out. And if they figure it out, they'll stick to it. Right. So what what do you do with a client when the process is not going the way you would like? like they give you one word answers. I interviewed a guy. So you were a karate champion back in the 80s, right? Yep. Um you fought in Thailand too. Yeah. And you're trying to get this guy to invest in the conversation or you get a person who's really problem focused. Every time you try to like get them away from the problem, they loop back to it. It's almost like the problem is their safety blanket because those are the two problems that I run into the most people who are not really open, I guess, and won't give to the, to the process or people who want to the problem. The problem is this. And yeah, but the problem, the problem, how do you deal with that as a coach?
1: Yeah. So I think that is something that comes up and part of it is letting go of your expectations of what should be, which again, easy to say, hard to do. But when you, when you work to get a really clear understanding, agreement, agenda from your client upfront of what success looks like at the end of the conversation, that puts you both on the same page to really feel that you can be in this free flowing, powerful question, you know, mindset. Now, with the examples you gave, when it seems like someone is a little closed or when it seems like someone's really struggling to move beyond their problem, yes, we can ask questions that try to be more open and that try to be solution focused, but if we're still sensing that, that's where direct communication, I think, comes into play here as far as a coaching competency. So, yes, powerful questioning, but also direct communication. Now, not directive communication where we're telling someone what we think they should do, but direct communication where we're kind of holding up that mirror for them. So, when I hear someone who's kind of answering these questions really short, you know, one word answers, sometimes I'll just hold up that mirror and say, you know, I'm just, I'm sensing that you are a little closed off on this topic, or I'm sensing that you're holding back. You know what what is that that I might be sensing there and just give them an opportunity to share where they're at their reaction to that maybe they don't agree with me that they're not you know and that that's okay but just holding up that mirror the same thing with the problem focus is just holding up that mirror and saying now I'm hearing a lot of what it is you don't want I'm wondering what if we shifted to what you want instead what does that look like so it's just you know, not hiding the fact that you're sensing this, it's directly communicating it and giving them a chance to respond unattached to if you were right or wrong.
0: So there's a, you talked about coming to an agreement before the coaching begins, which is something we didn't really talk about. And then holding up a mirror and I think those are two really critical pieces to this that we, we, we haven't really excavated yet. Um, when you say coming to an agreement before you coach, what do you mean? And then also, what is holding up a mirror for the client?
1: So the coming to agreement is getting a clear understanding of what the client wants to focus on in coaching and getting a clear understanding of what success will look like for them at the end of that conversation. So maybe you've got a six month coaching engagement and you have 45 minute coaching conversations. So you're gonna set up an agreement and understanding for both of you of what success looks like at the end of those six months. But also each time you come together to coach, you're gonna come to an agreement Client-driven, right? Of what success will look like to them at the end of that 45-minute conversation. Because here's the thing, if you're not feeling really clear on what success looks like at the end of the 45 minutes, there's a good chance they're not very clear on what success looks like. So that's an important investment of time up front or asking those questions to help the client uncover and kind of confirm and commit to what they want to focus on in the, the session what they wanna walk away with. And then if you can do that, that's kind of your tether in the conversation where you can always go back to them, right? Regardless of where the conversation winds. So that's what I mean when I say setting setting up that context as far as an agenda. Um, And then the piece around holding up a mirror, this is that direct communication where when you are hearing something from somebody Sometimes something as simple as reflecting their words back to them can be extremely awareness generating. So maybe someone's using a, a word over and over again. Um, let me think of an example. <coughs> I'm sorry, <What's> you. <laughs> thank you. An example would be, um, I'll have clients who say things like should I really should do that. I know I should do that. I should have done that. And when you hear that, you start to hear that thought pattern coming through in their um, verbal sequences. And that gives you a chance then to be thinking about, okay, you know, I'm hearing you say the word should a lot. I just wanna reflect that. I just wanna say that to you and state that out loud, giving them a chance to reflect on it, right? That's holding up a mirror. One example, obviously that could look a lot different in a lot of different situations.
0: Does, does holding up a mirror ever look like – so I've heard you say this in X amount of coaching sessions before, 5, 10, 15, 20. But I, what I don't see is you moving towards that goal. Do you ever kind of – I mean, for lack of a better way of putting it, call the client out on their mess? Or do you – is there a way to – help them see it without confronting them directly.
1: Yeah, and I think that's probably, probably the most challenging part of the coaching is letting go of that, judgment. So what I perceive to be a mess doesn't matter unless they feel it's a mess or something that that they wanna focus on or work on. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so, so no, I mean, what I hear you saying, no, you're, you're not gonna, you're gonna let the person find their own mess, you're not going to call them on what you see as a mess, you're, you're gonna let them find their own mess kind of through this, this organic freeform process of powerful questioning and coaching them that they'll find what they think is a mess and they'll resolve their own problems And there there can't be an agenda, right? It's not about your agenda as a coach. It's about them finding their path. That, for me, is the hardest part, right? Because I tend to see when I see someone who's not reaching their goals, right? I want to call them on the fact that they're not reaching their goals. So you see someone who's practicing a lot of self-sabotaging behavior, right? Like you want to say, hey, I see you self-sabotaging all the time. Yeah. But they, they have to see themselves self-sabotaging. Somehow they have to find that they are self-sabotaging because if you call them on it, and I'm sure you found this in your coaching as well, usually there's resistance. They push back. There's some kind of, ha, what do you mean? How could you say that about me? And, and it actually is detrimental to the coaching process. Am I hearing you correctly?
1: Yeah, I do think that makes sense. Um, I think that's also a little bit of this direct communication that we're talking about where you could just state back to them what you're hearing them say. like paraphrase, summarize what they're saying. You know, so I'm hearing that, you know, this is happening and that's happening and that's happening. You know, what impact is that having on you? And it's not us judging like, hey, this is having a terrible impact on you because you're self-sabotaging, but it's just reflecting back to them. So here's the things I just heard you say, what's the impact of that, if any, You know, and allowing them to decide.
0: Well, so for the coaching piece, guys, I would highly recommend anyone who coaches look into, uh, this methodology of coaching. Uh, and there's some great reading material. Uh, I I will have Dr. Boyson put a reading list together that I'll attach to the podcast that you can read up on it on your own, or you can find a coach like myself, or you can reach out to Dr. Boyson or any of the other executive coaches and kind of get deeper into this. Um, We don't have time to break the entire process down, but I think this is enough if you're paying attention to whet your appetite and get you interested as a coach in this process of coaching, which is unique. I've never seen it anywhere else. And I've done all sorts of coaching. I've done athletic coaching. I've done performance coaching. I've done psychology type coaching. This is different. It's unique. And the results are different and unique you get from people when you follow this process a very satisfied clientele because they feel within themselves that they did the work they feel within themselves that they reached the conclusion that they re- because they do it's not you doing it for them and there's something that that you get from this process that you can't get anywhere else so um, I highly recommend that you reach out to Dr. Boyson or, or another executive coach, myself, whoever, and dig into this. If you are coaching in any way, it will help you with your clients. Um, at the beginning of the podcast, as we're kind of transitioning subjects here, I also mentioned that you did a podcast of your own on e-charisma, which I just found fascinating. And you, you guys can look that up. Um, what was the name of your podcast again? Um, Professional Success Podcast. So if you jump to the Professional Success Podcast and that little shameless plug there, and and look up the e-charisma episode, it's well worth the 30 minutes that it that it that it is to to kind of get as people that are kind of we're now in this weird bubble, this e-bubble because of the COVID situation and social distancing, everyone is doing more stuff like this, where we're talking online or coaching online. And there's things that you can do that will get your message across better to your clients um, that you can't do or that you have to do differently than when you're coaching in person or you're on stage giving a speech. So can we dive into that just a little bit? E-charisma?
1: So e-charisma really is um, about transitioning your charisma from in-person um, opportunities, connections, venues, online. And so for many of us who have worked on our charisma or just naturally have charisma in, in most situations, this has been a transition because a lot of that charisma um, really is coming from nonverbal face-to-face in-person cues around how much space you take up, whether when you're presenting or sitting in a chair in a meeting, um, nonverbal facial expressions, and just kind of how you carry yourself. Now, when you look at translating that online, it's not a direct translation, but there's still certain things that you can practice and do in order to kind of showcase charisma through a screen or online. Um, Part of it is having a confident voice when you're speaking. I don't know if you guys have experienced this at all, but I was just in another meeting yesterday where someone was too far away from their mic. Um, They weren't talking loud enough. It's, it, it's a similar experience when you're in a room with someone and you can't hear what they're saying, but it really detracts from their charisma, regardless of what, what other circumstances are going on. So having that confident voice, and in an online situation, if that means maybe you know investing in a different headset or microphone, it can make all the difference. Um, eye contact, this sounds so silly, or maybe even simple when we're talking about being online, but remember to have that perception of eye contact when you're in a meeting online, looking down at your screen is actually gonna come off as not making eye contact. In order to have that perception of making eye contact, you need to look at the camera, wherever your camera is on your computer. So one of the things that um, someone, one of my former clients actually was saying they did back when the pandemic started to remind them, the visual cue to look more at their cameras, they actually put little googly eyes up by their cameras, that reminder of that's what emulates um, you know, eye contact online. So that eye contact is such a big piece too. And creating space for others online, which this can become really challenging and sometimes frustrating because you'll see where there's maybe a little bit of a delay or we don't have those nonverbal cues that we were just mentioning where you end up talking over someone or someone else ends up talking over you. But giving space for others to talk um, inviting others to talk are the types of things that really can make your e-charisma stand out. And maybe the last thing that I've found that is particularly powerful in that space of creating e-charisma is um, just being extra personable online. And one way to do that, a simple way to do that is by using people's first names. Now, this might not be possible in a meeting of, you know, 200 people, but in a meeting of 10 or less people, um, you know, calling on someone and say, you know, Janice or you know, Bob, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I haven't had a chance to to hear your ideas yet in this meeting. Um, or maybe you notice when someone's on camera that they look like they're thinking and say, you know, oh, you know, Sandra, it looks like you might have an idea or a question that's coming to mind. Anything that you want to share with the group, calling people out by name and that gentle invitation to contribute and creating space for them can go a long way in
0: e-charisma. It's been such an interesting process for me. Uh, The podcast, I had people kind of urging me to do it because my perspective on this subject of communication and self-defense is very different than most of the people in the field. Um, and initially when I started the podcast, it was audio only, right? So we all kinds of things that you can't do visually now that I have a camera, yeah, you know, you, you when it's audio only, I, I had a guest who was like, man, I'm so used to doing this in front of a whiteboard and I can't explain it verbally, right? It's so hard for me to articulate this verbally. There's all kinds of challenges like that I, it, as a, as a high school Guy, I was in theater and so commanding a space, I feel super comfortable with that, being able to move and be theatrical and like be in front of people. But when you can't, when you're stuck in front of this camera, it's very challenging. And then the camera is so personal sometimes, it picks up weird habits. Like I noticed in one of my first video interviews that I look around like this, with my eyes all the time and it comes off very off-putting right all throughout the interview as i think i'm looking 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 in in a, on a stage or in front of an audience they wouldn't pick that up but because the camera is right here it it picks up all these little subtleties that that wouldn't you you have to kind of adjust for in in this setting so there's there's all these things that you have to change about how you do what you do when now that you've switched venues for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, and I, I just, I found your podcast fascinating. This is something that you do well. I mean, you, you're, you even talked about a specific percentage of the camera frame that you should take up with yourself to be most presentable. Uh, was it 30% I think?
1: It's anywhere from 30 to like 40-ish percent, but the idea is you want to have a little space between the top of your head and your frame. You don't want it to be that you're totally off-center. You don't want too much of your background. Again, the things you never have to think about, you know, when you're in an in-person meeting.
0: Yeah, I, I, I was, when I started, I was doing this a lot too, <laughs> And I, I, when I'm listening to your e-charisma talk and I'm like, oh man, all these things that I have to work on now, or I would adjust the, the camera as I'm talking, I'm, all these things you're not supposed to do. I'm doing these as, as demonstrations of what not to do guys. But uh, it, you know, there's all these things that you, you don't think about, right? Because it's a, it's just a different medium entirely than being on stage in front of people. I, I, I interviewed a guest who was constantly doing this, Right. and it it was just it was it was clear that it was some kind of like way of coping nervous tick or whatever that's and you that's not if you're in front of people on a stage that doesn't look that strange but when you're in a camera frame and it's right up on your face and people see you manipulating your eyelid it (laughs) it looks strange right like There's, there's all these considerations that you have to have in this medium that you wouldn't have to have in another medium. Um, so again, just another reason to reach out to Dr. Boyson. she can coach you through this kind of stuff, um, and help you become a better presenter, better coach, um, it's, it's a, she's very, very knowledgeable. Uh, and I, I do think I'm probably going to have to have her back on for a, a follow-up episode at some point and get deeper into more of the pieces that make this process up of being an e-presenter, being a coach, um, getting the most from your clients for your clients. She's just an expert in this kind of stuff. So I would highly recommend that you reach out. Um, and and just excavate her use her as a resource she's fascinating so doc if you wouldn't mind just plugging yourself what's your website what's your business how can people get a hold of you that would be awesome
1: absolutely so um, my business is professional success coaching and so professional success coaching.com is my website um, and as Ben mentioned, I have a podcast, the Professional Success Podcast, where we talk about all kinds of professional and career uh, forward moving topics to help people grow in their careers, make transitions, and do the work that they love. Um, but I love working with individuals both in the career and the leadership space. So thanks for giving me a chance to chat a bit about it, Ben.
0: Awesome, Doc thanks so much. I really appreciate you coming on and taking time. I know you're busy and and doing a bunch of stuff. So thank you for sharing yourself with us.
1: Absolutely. Well, you take care.
0: You too.